This morning, uh, we're going to come back to the Christmas story a fourth time. And what we're going to do together is, is do our very best to get a glimpse of what God is like. It's what we've been doing in this Advent season as we've been considering how God reveals what he's like through the story of Christmas. Now, let me tell you why we're going to come again to the story to see God. It's very simple. The fact is that when a person gets a a clear vision of God, uh, when he reveals himself to a person, that is when transformation happens. When God shows what he's like and human eyes see and hearts are open, and then when a person responds in faith, God himself transforms the person who sees him. And I know that there are some in here who could use a bit of transformation. Am I right? I could, and so I want to see him again, and I want you to see him because I know you also need transformation. It's what we need. And coming to the story at Christmas provides a unique opportunity to see God and seeing what he's like to be transformed. Now here, I'm going to put the the very center of my message this morning right up front so there's no chance that you'll miss it. I want to say it very plainly. What we're going to see is that in Emmanuel... And that is the name that the angel gave for Jesus, which means God is with us. That in Emmanuel, when Jesus came to be with us, help has come. The help which every one of us needs, the help which tells us everything is going to be okay. And we all need that. Now, I'm sure there are some of you who are here right now and you're thinking, well, I'm pretty much okay. Well, you also need that message. And I know that right beside you, there's at least one or more people who right now would say, everything is not okay. And if that's true, I need to hear it. Right before Thanksgiving, I received an email from someone at Renaissance Church, and I asked his permission to share it with you, and he said that would be all right. Listen to what he wrote me. Christian. The next six weeks covering Thanksgiving and Christmas can be difficult for a lot of people. More than once, I've sat in the chairs at Renaissance and had tears streaming down my face during this time of year. For many, the holidays are a reminder that something has changed, that life is different, that family is not family anymore, or that someone is missing. Being alone during the holidays is different than being alone on May 8th or February 10th. Am I right that he's not the only person in this room right now who feels like that? And if, if you're thinking, well, this message is not going to be for me, why did I come this morning? Can I tell you what? The help that has come for the person who feels their loneliness is also for you. And if there's a person who feels that, you should know it so that you can be God's presence to them. Uh, he continued... In no way do I want to take away from the joys of the season or put a damper on those who are surrounded by their families. What a kind thing to say, isn't it? However, being someone who knows what it is like to feel abandoned or to wake up alone on Christmas morning, I would ask that you keep us in mind. This is somebody who keenly feels the need for help. And this morning... Uh, keeping him in mind, and and very simply acknowledging what is actually in the Christmas story. 
I get to tell him and everyone here that help has come. The kind of help which is able to say, no matter where you are, everything is going to be okay. And we're, we're going to see this by narrowing in on one character in the Christmas story who's a kind of minor character but important nonetheless. It's the character uh, about whom Michelle just read. The character Simeon. And uh, by the way, it's, it's quite remarkable that his name happens to be the Greek word for sign. And it's remarkable because in his part that he plays, he gives us a sign. A sign that shows us that everything is going to be okay. Uh, I'm really happy that I get to share this with you this morning. I am. Uh, because for me, this is not just an idea that's in my head that I get to tell you, but it's, it's actually from my own living experience of being someone who is alone and not okay and who, thank God, has been delivered from that by Emmanuel. You ready? What? <laughs> Uh, I, I never like it when someone up front is speaking and they force me to do something like that, but I don't care. I'm doing it to you anyway. <laughs> when we meet Simeon, he is in the temple, and, and, and the temple is the holiest building in the holy city of God's people in Jerusalem. It's holy because Simeon's people, the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites, the Jews, had long expected that God's presence would one day come fully into the world and, and it would come into that city and into that building, the temple. Uh, they had trusted and believed that God's presence was uniquely there in the Holy of Holies. And Simeon is a man who's waiting at the temple because he wants to see God's presence. And the reason he's there is it had been revealed to him by God himself in, in a mysterious way, in an unseen way, God had let this man know that before he died, he would get to see the Lord's Messiah. That's the word that was read. Now, that's a word that means anointed one. God had told him, as a, as a, in person in some way, that you will see the Messiah with your own eyes before you, got, before you go. And that's why Simeon is waiting at the temple. And that's where he is when we meet him. And he happens to be there. The Holy Spirit makes this happen. He happens to be there at the very moment when Mary and Joseph bring the baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. Simeon is there at the same time. And that's no accident. God had guided him there. But this man, Simeon, is a character who's going to teach us about the help which has come. And, and we must know him to see what he has to show us. If you would look with me for a, a moment at how he is described in verse 25 of chapter 2 of Luke. We'll learn something from this description. Look with me at what it says in verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested upon him. There's a number of things in this description that we must see. Uh, Simeon is a man who is attentive to God and to whom God is very close. Uh, he's described to us as a person upon whom the Holy Spirit rested. That means that he's really tuned in to the divine presence and God has chosen to make himself 
especially close to this man. If the spirit is like wind, Simeon is like a man who has his sails trimmed properly, to use an analogy uh, from the world of the maritime. He is someone who's tuned into God. He's also described as righteous and devout. That may sound to us like he stays away from bad things and does lots of good things. Those two terms here mean more than that. They are more than behavioral descriptions. They describe his relationship with God. To be righteous and devout in this day means he is someone who cares most about God and what God wants for him. He is someone for whom the center of his life is God himself. Someone whose focus is always guided back to the ultimate, the transcendent, the God who has created everything, who asks with each step he takes in life, how would God want me to move through life? And and moreover, devout means he spends much time here in the word of God. He would have been a man who had the promises of the prophets, and so his hopes and expectations, what he wanted in life, how how his values were shaped, all of that would have come from the things that God himself had said in his word. And so this man, Simeon, is there at the temple. He's waiting for God's anointed one and his entire worldview, his hopes, his aspirations and dreams. They're shaped by what God's word had made him hope for. He's looking for what God wants to give. Now, there's one other thing here that's told about him, and it's there in the phrase. Look again at verse 25. In this phrase, he was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Uh, That word, consolation, uh, when I hear that word, I think of the prize that you get uh, when you're on a game show and you lose, right? It's It's the sort of offer that's meant to soften the blow of a failure, right? Something that's kind of meant to take the sting away a bit and make you feel a little bit better as you walk away with your tail between your legs. There is something of that meaning in this word here. Sometimes it's translated as comfort, but it means way more than that. The Greek word behind consolation is a compound word, paraklesis. It's made of two different Greek words. The first part Para is a prefix that means alongside. And then the second part, kalesis or kaleo, is a verb which means to call to. And so when these two words are put together, paraklesis means literally to summon alongside or to call to one's side. Now visualize this with me, and I think you'll see what Simeon is waiting for. Picture a person who is in trouble and alone. Picture someone who is all by himself, all by herself, and desperately needy. And then imagine a person being summoned right, summoned right long aside them. Someone coming to stand with them or to sit beside them, to put their arm on their shoulder or to, ha- or to have uh, somewhere to rest their head. Uh, a consolation is awaiting not for something, but for someone. It is... It is the anticipation in the midst of a really terrible time that at some point, someone will come alongside of me to help me. Someone will be here to give me the help that I need and which I cannot give myself because of where I am. Someone will sit with me. 
That's what it means to wait for consolation. Now, Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And, be, and there's a reason for that. At this time in their history, their national life together is tragic. It's really difficult. They live under the rulership of a tyrant who happens to be from their own people. And it's really sad because the Roman Empire is in charge of that region. The way they've chosen to rule is by hiring someone who's corruptible from within the people, and that ruler is awful. And so the life of the people is miserable. They need help, and they cannot give it to themselves, and so they are waiting for the consolation that might come from a personal presence who will be right there with them to give them the help that they need and cannot get themselves. Do you, do you see what Simeon is actually waiting for? If you know the story of the scriptures and the hope of God's people, you know now that what he's waiting for is the Lord's anointed one. He's waiting for the Messiah, the one who has been promised to come and to give help to the people in the way they need it. And what he's waiting for for Israel, let me say this now. It's the same thing that that man who wrote me that email is waiting for for himself at Christmas time. You might say, no, no, it's different. No, it's not. When God looks at every lonely person, his own heart is rent. His, his eyes are tuned in and he knows every single tear which is shed. He made the human heart and he loves it. And so everything that hurts you hurts him, and he knows it. And listen now, here's the message of Christmas. Help has come for, for you right where you need it. And if you don't feel that you need it, it's for you too. Uh, when I think of the man who wrote me that email, I think there is a unique pain at Christmas time for those who are alone, for whom their marriage has fallen apart. And you know, that's probably about half of us. Is that right? If it's not you, it's someone that you know. And I'll tell you from my own experience how utterly difficult that is. Uh, about the second or third week that I was here at Renaissance, I said something to the effect of, oh, I know how difficult life can be. In 2000, I was in the darkest place that I'd been. That's a story for another time. Does any of you remember when I said that? Yeah. I got an email. When are you going to tell us? Well, <laughs> here we go. In the summer of 2000, my marriage that I had entered into in 96, it came to an ending less than three weeks after our son Abraham was born. The four years prior to that summer were filled with almost never-ending conflict, and not the kind of conflict that's good, but the kind that's destructive. That summer, I found myself, for the first time really, alone. And in the kind of pain that you can only know if you've experienced it. Uh, for me, it was most poignant at mealtimes, because I always ate with people. But as that spring, as that fall began to unfold, I found myself desperately lonely. Now, I want to tell you, the fact that that marriage ended, in some measure, was a relief and a gift. It was so destructive. But at the same time, it put me in the place of feeling the absence of my children. There was an adopted son and a son born to us. 
in a way that put me in a position where the darkness seemed preferable to the light. And what I mean by that metaphor is death presented itself to me as a solution that would be easier and better than life. Now, if that's too heavy for you to hear, I apologize. But the truth is a lot of people have been in places like that. And you cannot know how bad it is until you've been there. And I was actually there. Uh, meal times were the loneliest, and so my strategy was to walk downtown in Princeton where I lived, and I found my way to the Burger King right on Nassau Street. Don't go looking for it. It's since closed. <laughs> but I used to sit at the bench seat and uh, right at the glass, and I, I, would, I would have my $1.98 dinner of two cheeseburgers there before me, uh, and I would eat there so that I could see other people. And the students would walk by, and, and I was in such a way that when I saw them, I, all I saw was people who were together, and all I felt was my own loneliness. Uh, I, I didn't know what was going to happen next in life. Uh, my heart was broken in a way that hurt so badly you can't imagine. And uh, even though I could look at my situation and see that I tried everything I could, I carried a guilt that was really heavy. Uh, I don't expect you to shout out if you uh, can relate to me. But if you can, maybe you can relate to this. Um, I went to the housing office uh, one morning, and I, I had to get a, an application to change my, uh, my housing since my status changed. Uh, and I walked with that application downtown in Princeton, and I went right on to Witherspoon Street uh, to my favorite coffee shop in Small World. And I sat on the bench there before going in, and I began to fill out the application. And then I got to the point where it said status, and there were three boxes, and the boxes were single, married, and divorced. And I had to color in the box that said divorce, and at that moment, it hit me in a way that it hadn't earlier, that this was real. And I just, in the middle of the morning, it was like 11 o'clock, I just started crying uncontrollably right out in public. Now, those of you who have been here a little while, you're like, oh yeah, you cry every week here. <laughs> Please, I'm telling you, during those four years, I was constantly, constantly holding my tears in as a strategy of trying to cope. And, and that morning, it just hit me that I was in the box that I never thought I would be in, that I never wanted to be in, and I'm not too uh, proud to admit it, that I used to judge other people for being in. And so I wept. And I wept because my heart was so utterly shattered. You cannot imagine it. The person who wrote me that email knows it. And some of you know it. Oh my God, it was awful. And I wept because I needed guidance. I had no idea what was going to happen next in life. I wept because I needed to be held like a child by its mother. And I wept because I carried guilt. And so I put my hand, uh, hands on my face and I just prayed that nobody would look at me and it was such a scene. People were crossing by on the other side of the road. But there I was alone and you know what I needed in that moment? I needed consolation. I needed someone to come right up alongside me and give me a sense that it was going to be okay. I needed someone to come and embrace me and give me the love that I, I absolutely needed. That was the deepest thing. And I needed someone to come and help me deal with guilt. I needed all three of those things desperately. 
And that, let's come back to the story of Christmas for a moment. This is remarkable. Christmas is not just a, an imaginary story back then, but it's a story about real life, about real humanity, about what people really need. That's what Simeon is waiting for for the people of Israel. And maybe your marriage is great and strong and fine, but maybe there's another way that there's a hole in your heart this Christmas. Uh, maybe there are many ways that you find yourself needing someone to come alongside you and help you. I'm telling you, if, if, if your family is great and all of the things in your life uh, seem to be going well, there's still some measure, I know it, in which you desperately need the help that can only come when someone comes alongside of you. Even those of us here who are people who have very strong faith and have been walking with Jesus for many years, even we always will need the consolation that can only come from without. And the message of Christmas is that help has come and everything is going to be okay because of it. You remember what Simeon was waiting for, the consolation of Israel. I told you he was a righteous and devout man. That means his hopes and his expectations didn't come from his own head or what he wished would be true, but no, they came very plainly from the scriptures of God's people. This was a man who would have known well the words and promises of the prophets. And so when we read that he hoped for the consolation of Israel, we're reading that his hopes, what he expected to receive, the hope that he looked for would have been the very same hope that was promised in the prophets like Isaiah. Have some of you heard of the book of Isaiah before? Yes? Help me out here. I can't see you. The, bright, the lights are too bright. Yeah? Yes. Okay, I did it again. There you go. Get over it. If you, would, if you would pick up the book of Isaiah and read through, it's a long book, but if you would do it and tune your attention to the places where God's help is promised, what you'll see is the content of what, what Simeon was waiting for and the content of what the Christmas message says has come in Jesus. Let me show you specifically what I mean. If you would find your way to Isaiah 40 and then read verse 11, here's what you will read. The Lord will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead the mother sheep. Do you see the image of comfort, the image of help, the image of consolation that's there in that promise, it's right there in that word, a shepherd. Isaiah told the people who were in need of help that one day God himself will come and he will help you like a shepherd helps his sheep. Use your imagination for a moment now and picture it. Imagine the shepherd there with all of those very needy and helpless sheep. He comes to those sheep and he guides them in the way that they need guidance. He shows them where there is food for them and where there is drink. Without his guidance, they're in trouble, but with his guidance, they're okay. He leads them beside still waters and he gives them green pastures in which to feed and in which to rest. And he provides a community for them to be in so they're not alone. They get to be a part of a flock. And what Isaiah said is when he looked at the people, he said, one day, one day God will come and he will help you like a shepherd helps his sheep. And this is the hope of consolation. And here is Simeon hoping in the temple that one day the shepherd will come. Here, let's look at a second image of consolation from the same book of Isaiah. This is chapter 66. This one's very tender. In chapter 66, verse 13, we read, As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Three times 
in one promise, the word which comes out as consolation in the New Testament, here comfort, three times. And the image there, it's the most tender and beautiful image of comfort that the poet here, that the prophet could imagine. It is the image of a mother. And that means that in Isaiah's day, God looked at the people bereft of hope because of how difficult life was, and he saw that their hearts are breaking. Their hearts are breaking because families have fallen apart, but for many other reasons besides, because things aren't working out as they wish, and their broken hearts will never, ever be mended by each other. And this is a truth that we all need to hear, even especially those who are lonely at Christmas time. You might think, I just need some person to come and love me, just the right man, just the right woman. No, it'll never work. But here, God says to the prophet, I see exactly what you need. What you need is love. What you need is real and true love. You need healing love. You need the kind of tender touch that only comes from a mother. You need to be held in the arms of a mother. And then, there will be a day when I come and hold you like that. That's the promise. Oh, isn't that beautiful? There are many, many, many more images of comfort and consolation in the book of Isaiah. Please remember, these would have been the very images that shaped the hopes of Simeon. When he says, I'm waiting for the consolation, he means I'm waiting for the shepherd. I'm waiting for that loving mother. Here's another one. And I'm only going to show you three this morning because that's just what I feel like. In chapter 40, verse 1, this one takes a little bit of uh, work to understand, but... But here, the words, again, that come as consolation. Comfort, comfort, O my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid. That last phrase, her penalty is paid, that is a judicial image. It's the image of a courtroom in which there has been a trial, and there is guilt. There is guilt there. But to say her penalty has been paid is to say everything that was required because of this guilt has been managed already and handled. This is the image of a judge who is merciful. And when the prophet Isaiah sees the people of God in their guilt, and the truth is, most all of us have some guilt that we carry. And even when we're the victim and we look at ourselves and we think it was all the other, no, every one of us carries some measure of guilt. And, and it's bad for us. It's just plain bad for us in life. And when Isaiah looks at the people and he knows that they struggle with that guilt, he knows they need the comfort that will only come, only come through mercy and forgiveness. And he says there'll be a day when God speaks tenderly to all the people in Jerusalem with this word of comfort, telling them their penalty has been paid. Now, if you'd come back to the story told at Christmas of Simeon, who is waiting there in the temple for the consolation of Israel, and who has been promised that he will see the Lord's Messiah, the Anointed One, and if you would look with me at what happens while he's waiting, and this is it, it was read about by Michelle. He's there and he gets to hold the baby Jesus in his arms because God made it so that he was there when Mary and Joseph would come. And then holding that baby in his arms, look at what he says. This is verse 30 and 31 from chapter two of Luke. My eyes have seen your 
salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. He holds Jesus and he says, now I've seen it. I've seen God's salvation because that's what consolation is. It's not just a little bit of help. It is salvation. And he holds Jesus and he says, everything that I have learned to hope for from the prophet Isaiah is here at last and I get to hold it in my own arms. Praise God. Salvation has finally come. You see it says there, in the presence of all peoples. And you might think, is that a typo? No. The reason it's peoples and not people is in Simeon's day, there were plenty of religious folks who had learned to believe and expect that, that the God, God's Messiah, the anointed one, was only for some, for one people group, only for the Jews. Peoples means, no, for every people group, salvation has come and has come in Jesus. And that means the help that you need has come, the help which you cannot give yourself. It has come and everything is going to be okay because, listen, because Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. He knows every one of his sheep and he calls them all to himself so he can lead them and guide them and help them know which way to go. Whether their problem is that work is difficult or a few things in family aren't going just as they hoped or whether their difficulty is they're alone again at Christmas and have been abandoned. The shepherd has come in Jesus. He is also, and this sounds strange, but he is also the mother who comes to love. There is a time when Jesus looks at Jerusalem and he says, oh, how I've longed to gather them like a hen beneath her wings to give them love. And that is all also who Jesus is. He comes, this baby grows up to become the lover of your soul, the one who loved you and gave himself for you. He is that mother. Now, what if you've been guilty? What if you're the entire cause of this whole mess in your life? Let's say you are just that guilty. Okay, fine. Jesus is also the anticipated judge who is merciful. And the way he is able to be merciful to you is by choosing to become the judge who is judged in your place. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus is the one without sin who has the right to cast the first stone because he's never sinned in his whole life. He stands in the position of judge and his life ends on a cross where he is judged. For whose guilt? Well, the Bible says for the guilt of the whole world. And so salvation has come to you, even you guilty man, even you guilty woman. What should you do? Here's what you should do. Are you ready? You should let him be your king. You should yield your entire life to him. You should say, God in Christ be my shepherd. God in Christ love me like a mother. God in Christ have mercy on me, a sinner. You, you take away my sin and make me right and I will be your servant from this day forward. You say that in your heart and you receive Emmanuel, God with us, and then you are utterly and totally free. Then everything is going to be okay. I'm going this morning. <laughs> I'm going to finish early too. Oh, I've never done that. <laughs> Ever. This is very simple. Please listen. The way that this will happen for you, that you'll receive Jesus, is when you hear the word of an ordinary person tell you, accept him. Give your heart to him. I'm just an ordinary guy. That's all I am. And I'm telling you to do that. And the way you receive him is in your heart you say yes. That's it. I was sitting on that bench that morning crying my eyes out. And I was, I, you've never seen me cry, ever. I was such a wreck. And there I am, and I get that uncanny feeling that someone is staring at me. Have you ever had that feeling? And so I, I lift 
my hands and I turn to the right up to the top of Witherspoon Street, where it intersects with Nassau, and I see all the way up there at the corner, there is a man who is walking toward me and staring right into my eyes, even at that great distance. He was a townie in Princeton. You know what I mean by townie? Maybe that's like a, a Red Bank term. It's the guy who shuffles around town all the time, like it's his job to walk around on the sidewalks. You see him every day. Do you know what I mean? There's a few of those folks in, in Summit. And I'd seen him for years. I'd seen him. And I, he'd always just been like a fixture in Princeton. But now I'm sitting on the bench and I see him start to approach me and he's staring directly into my eyes. And he's getting closer. He doesn't look away. And for some strange reason, I don't feel ashamed and I don't look away. I just stare at him as he stares at me. He walks right up to the bench. He stops right in front of me. He looks right into my eyes and he says this. He pauses for a little while and he says, everything's going to be okay. And then he smiles and he just shuffles on. And I tell you, in that moment, it, it was as if God himself told me, the Messiah has come and he is for you. He is your shepherd and he will guide you. He loves you like a mother loves her own son. And you are completely and totally forgiven. Everything will be okay. Praise God and amen.